University rankings are big business, with highly ranked universities leveraging their ranking and marketing to prospective students, employees, and funders. But the process for generating those rankings may not always be so sound. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Mary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Join Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. We have two guests on Stats and Stories today. Lizzie Gadd is a research policy manager at Loughborough University. She chairs the International Network of Research Management Societies, INORMS, Research Evaluation Working Group, and champions the ARMA Research Evaluation Special Interest Group. She founded the Lisp Bibliometrics Forum and the Bibliomagician blog, and was the recipient of the 2020 INORMS Award for Excellence in Research research management and leadership. Adrian Barnett is a professor of statistics who has worked for over 27 years in health and medical research. He's particularly interested in how we generate high quality scientific evidence that is of most value to the public and politicians and how this evidence gets translated into policy and practice. He writes about statistical issues at Median Watch. The two co-authored an article for Significance magazine suggesting that university rankings are built on a quote, flimsy statistical approach, end quote. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. I guess the big question is sort of what propelled this article? (laughs) Years of looking at numbers being misused, years of seeing universities celebrate a a change in the rankings of about two or or three even, or even one, (laughs) when I know that that's just noise. And um, yeah, just a real frustration that because these things seem to be, I think because there are numbers involved, because there's some some kind of data collection, that people therefore think, oh, this has been a rigorous statistical process when it really is far from it. So is, is, does take us back a little bit in time, could, you know, sort of help us understand what's being done. You know, these there, so there's a score that's that's being constructed for each university. Can, could you could you just give us a, a, a quick you know, introduction to what are the inputs to such scores and maybe an example of an input of each type? Sure. So there are hundreds of university rankings, you know, national ones, international ones. Um, but I think there are four kind of key global players that are commercially run that have the biggest impact on institutions. And they take a number of different indicators of university quality in inverted commas or performance, uh, and they can join them together in a composite score, which they then kind of line up as in, a, in a single um, ranking to identify which is the best or the top university in the world. So some of the things that they try to assess are teaching quality, research quality, graduate outcomes, employability of students, those sorts of things. But when you actually look at the indicators that they're using to assess those things, so for example, teaching quality is often assessed by, you know, how, for example, how many kind of Nobel Prize winning alumni you have, or what is your staff student ratio? Now, no institution in the world would assess their teaching quality by looking at their staff student ratio. It's just not a suitable indicator for that quality. So these these are the issues that we have. And there's obviously lots of uh, other things we could dig into. Uh, and, and happy to do so as the podcast pr- progresses. So, you know, I think that's that, that what you're touching on there is is that there are 
kind of agreed upon inputs that people would say, yeah, of course, the, you know, teaching quality would be there, but that's too hard to measure. So I, I can count, you know, how many staff and how many students, although even defining what, whose staff is not necessarily obvious in, in these kind of measures. So, so you end up with these surrogates that, that, that don't necessarily connect to, to these things just because you can measure them. That's the, that just makes me bristle. At the, you know, so I, so how, how do you struggle with this? I mean, you know, so how do, you, how do you deal with the fact that there are these substitutes for something you really want to know that are being used? Well, when you say deal with, I mean, institutions don't have an opportunity to <laughs> to deal with the, those things. They have to, you take it or leave it, you know, you you yeah. um, participate or you don't. And in, on, the, on the odd occasion, institutions have tried to pull out of these things, i.e. not supply data. Often it relies on self-reporting, obviously, because not all institutions globally have some kind of um, nationwide collection of these sorts of data. Um, so you're relying on uh, self-reporting, which is obviously where problems can come in with gaming at uh, one end of the spectrum, cheating at the other end of the spectrum. Um, so you either put up or shut up, essentially, when it comes to rankings. And then also as well, I mean, if you think of the staff-student ratio at any university, it's going to vary quite a lot. And it is actually hard to measure too. So there's no sense of any measurement error in that. Now, it, of course, it, you, could, you could put the measurement error in. Um, and you could, and all of these things that go into league tables uh, have measurement error, but in the table, everybody is just a number that is just fixed and then it's sort of read out like it's some sort of sporting league table, which is just ridiculous. If they included the uncertainty in these things, there would be a lot less university press releases about how they jumped in a table because you could see that the error bars would overlap and a lot of, the, a lot of this movement around would, would simply be shifting deck chairs. Yeah. And something like staff-student ratio, you know, what's a good number? You know, what is the perfect staff-student ratio? One to one, <laughs> because some people would take issue with that and say, well, that, that's not teaching, you know, that's tutoring. Um, so, so what, what's a good a good value? Where does it become poor? Adrian, since you you brought up the issue of the tables, I am interested in this. Um, if, if you guys could talk about why you use the league table as like the framing to talk about this, because, you know, I'm familiar, familiar with these rankings and semi-familiar with English soccer. Um, and so I was sort of thinking about this as a league table was kind of intriguing, but I kind of wondered if you could talk through why you made that choice to frame these rankings in this way and what you're hoping to communicate by doing so. Well, I think for me, like I love football. If you think of a football table, the English Premier League, it's completely fair. Every team plays itself home and away. It is totally fair. So you get a proper league table. And, and people say at the, end of the, at the end of the season, you can't argue with the table. Mm. University league tables are entirely different. There is so much unfairness built into them. Now, I haven't done this exercise, but I suspect if we took the rankings and we did a regression model and we added the age of the university, the size of the university and the country that university was in, that would explain a hell of a lot of the variance in them. So they are totally set up for the older, Western, bigger universities. So yeah, the, the idea to compare them to sports tables is just so frustrating. And I think one of the reasons why maybe the public and the media really like them is because they do they do look like that. And I think they're made to look like that deliberately, um, but it's, it's a, a totally different exercise. It's really interesting, Rosemary, um, that you should question the use of the term league tables because it's not something I've ever questioned. They are known as league tables. 
um, in the sector with, without any kind of question mark or over that. Um, and I think it just speaks to the fact that they are uh, one of the many drivers of such hyper competition between institutions in something which is essentially not a competition. Higher education is not a competition. It depends on cooperation. You know, so much of our research, most of our research is, is collaborative. We absolutely depend on working together. Q QUT needs the work that Loughborough does. Loughborough needs the work that QUT does. We all, we all need each other's expertise. We, we're all doing um, great things in terms of educating the, the next generation. These are all important things. We are all needed. And I'm, I'm often kind of reminded of Gloria Steinem's uh, expression, imagine we are linked, not ranked, is what, what she says. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, just imagine, just imagine what the HE sector would be like if we saw ourselves as linked and not ranked. If it wasn't a constant competition but between us, but we could just genuinely... Um, Put, put that to one side and work together to, to solve some of the world's big problems. That's what we're here to do, essentially. So what <laughs> if only we could put aside that competitive element, perhaps I'm being naive, but perhaps I've made a career out of being naive, um, but <laughs> put aside that kind of, <laughs> put, put aside that competitive element and, and genuinely work together. I just think we would get so much further, so much quicker. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm very sympathetic to to kind of that perspective. I mean, the one thing that I that we talk about or we know about within university life is there are fewer and fewer students going to university mm -hmm. in certain parts of the you know, for example, the state that we're in. There's a demographic shift, so ultimately there 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 is some competition for students to go, and an easy filter are things like some of these these ranked procedures, mm -hmm. these scoring of, of institutions. And, and you know, I, I find myself thinking about, you know, when, when you have standardized tests, there's often the question of, of teaching to the test, that kind of having that test in place changes instructional behavior to address this. You know, is there a, you know, how do institutions respond to kind of the equivalent of you know, modifying behavior or modifying kind of structure to kind of make these kind of one or you one or two place changes in ranks. So can you talk a little bit about how institutions might respond in a way to kind of try to push themselves up a ranking scheme like this once they know they're in place? Yeah, look, Lizzie's a real expert on this. So I'll, I'll let her know. But I do find it depressing that I've seen universities here in Australia employ people just to lift their place in the rankings, not to actually change what the university does. Um, and then also there's another disturbing thing where with some of the big tables, you can pay to get access to the data and pay to get inside information. And then that then causes a conflict of interest because they tend to then build a relationship with the table people. And if they've paid all this money and they don't go up the tables, then you know what's the point? So there's a real incentive there for the, once you pay the money that you go up the tables. But Lizzie? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of um, the big concerns really is that we're, as institutions, we are now outsourcing our values to these ranking bodies um, who are unappointed and unaccountable, essentially. And we are, we are absolutely teaching to the test. We're, actually, we're driving you know, our activity towards what's going to help us climb the rankings rather than what is actually genuinely our mission. So things that um, are absolutely what, what Adrian says, institutions can um, get the data, get access to the data, they can employ some of these ranking agencies as consultants to their organisations. Some research that was done a couple of years ago showed that those institutions in Russia, I think it was, um, that had employed uh, the, the QS as, their, as a consultant 
did manage to improve uh, in the rankings. And that was due to, I think, the staff-student ratio data, the way that they were reporting it changed, and therefore they managed to, to improve their placing it in the rankings. So a huge conflict of interests there. The other thing that institutions can do is um, that they have control over are things like getting folk to respond to these um, surveys, reputation surveys, employer surveys that a lot of the rankings use. So trying to get friendly uh, respondents to um, to those those surveys obviously that is governed you have to be a bit careful about the way that you approach people to to see if they're willing to respond to those surveys but you can do that institutions do that and the other thing they have control over is is citation performance there can be some very unsavory practices in that space citation cartels for example um, you know all sorts of other activities which which can help not just in the rankings domain but but beyond but you know th those are all sorts of things that institutions can do which are you know, poor poor behaviors really and not not mission driven but simply you know, focused on getting themselves up a couple of places in in the rankings you're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about university rankings with Lizzie Gadd and Adrian Barnett. And just on the surveys, I mean, a, a really interesting story in how corrupted this data can become is that a lot of students who go to the, the very top universities, and maybe they chose those top universities based on the rankings, when it comes to them filling out the survey, some of them, no matter how bad an experience they've had, will tick that everything was rosy because they want that place to stay in the top rank because then when they're filling when they're approaching employers they want to say i went to the number one university so that's how bad this whole thing gets is that it just becomes sort of self-fulfilling you you both as we were sort of going into the break we're talking about some some of the things that institutions have done to sort of game the system and in the united states there was a very sort of big story around columbia university in relation to these rankings um particularly in u.s news and world report so could you talk us about talk us through sort of what that situation was and what that story was about yeah that was a professor of mathematics michael thaddeus who was looking at Columbia's dramatic rise in the table uh, and didn't quite ring true with his own experience of working at that same university. So he just did some very simple digging on the data and, and presented the best evidence he could find. It's, it's a very long blog, it's, it's worth a, a read, with the data that Columbia put in. So for example, the, you know, the student to faculty ratio that we've looked at, you know, Columbia said it was six to one. Well, his best estimate was more like it was 11 to one. Subsequent to that, I think the university did admit that, that, that they did need to make changes and, and Columbia have since tumbled in the rankings. Now, that I wouldn't be surprised if that's happening elsewhere, that you know, that's how competitive these things have become. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a legal case. I could imagine somebody who, who selected Columbia University and paid all that money um, because they were second when actually their real position was maybe more like 10th or 11th. And that would be interesting because I think if lawyers went through these tables with the forensic detail that they often have, that they would uncover a, a lot of very uh, suboptimal behavior and, and there'd be plenty for them to get their teeth into. You know, I, I like how it, as part of the paper, you, you went through and, and did some comparison of, of kind of the rankings based on some of the, a couple of the different variables and just showed kind of what happens when you start looking at uncertainty and how occasionally that sort of separates maybe one or two institutions from others, but typically there's not much distinction that you see 
across some of these dimensions that are where the, the, the actual single value might suggest more difference than in fact is in play. Is, is there any receptiveness that you've, you've heard about from institutions to, to think about this, about uncertainty or, or integrating that as part of, part of the story of, of uh, rankings and comparisons? No, I don't think that's in their interest because, I mean, yeah, we just looked at uncertainty in one variable, uh, citations, and we just added on about 10% because uh, citations do have quite a lot of measurement error. But, you know, if we'd have added on the measurement error to the staff to student ratio and some of these other variables, I think the error bars would have been enormous. So I suspect maybe one of them did actually try to do this once, looked at the results and said, well, we're not going to release that because <laughs> there wouldn't be a ranking anymore. I mean, maybe you, you might find you have clusters, probably like two or three clusters, but who, who wants to look at the international clusters? Yeah, there seems to be this, this appeal of league tables. I mean, whether it's ranking hospitals, I mean, so, you know, that you see sort of that, those kind of, perf- there's, there's this desire to have this metric for comparison. And, and the, the idea that there are a lot of ties just seems like it runs counter to what people hope to find from such, such systems. You know, are there things we could do better I mean, so so what what are ways that we could could think about you know con- comparing institutions and and maybe say something that's that's not quite so silly? Um, one of the things that the iNorms Research Evaluation Group have just launched actually last week is an initiative called More Than Our Rank, which is an opportunity for institutions to um, to declare in a narrative way how much more they have to offer the world than their rank would, you know, is captured by their university ranking. So we have a few early adopters. So Loughborough University, my institution, um, Adrian's institution, Queensland University of Technology, uh, are two of the kind of five early adopters. We've got other people already coming on board with that initiative. Um, and a whole host of um, supporters um, formed of university associations like the, Un- the European University Association, Science Europe, um, initiatives like DORA, the Declaration on Research Assessment, the Leiden Manifesto for Bibliometric CWTS Leiden uh, are one of the supporters. A whole host of organisations um, are, are backing this to say, yes, we need a better way of assessing universities and you know, highlighting you know, what they have to offer, I guess, that, that is, is not made visible in that single digit or that we, we see in the university rankings. Um, because even the university rankings themselves would not claim that they are capturing the whole kind of range of university activity. And, and indeed, a couple of our supporters are university rankers themselves. So the CWTS Leiden ranking, uh, UMultiRank, which is a European ranking, they are both supporters of this initiative because they recognise that, that, that rankings have a very narrow perspective on university, again, quality and in inverted commas, but there is so much more that in, to institutions than that. So this is one way I think that that universities can I mean even if you enjoy your ranking if you're proud of your ranking you can still declare that you are so much more than that you have more to offer than is captured by the university ranking so we think this is a a way of just kind of taking one small step back from uh, this hyper focus on university rankings and uh, describing institutions in a much more kind of nuanced and a narrative qualitative way. Uh, so that that actually immediately leads to a quick follow-up question, which is, can you give me an example of of a, a narrative kind of declaration? I mean, we, you know, you both you both rep- if you were going to make that declaration for your respective institutions, what would that look like? 
Well, at QUT, I'll just, I'll just chip in uh, something I didn't know. Apparently, we're one of the best universities in Australia for older students. We take on a lot of older students, and that's something we're really proud of. You know, those people who maybe didn't get the chance to go to university uh, straight off the bat, but find QUT a particularly welcoming place. So I, I was really proud when I heard that. Yeah, I mean, all sorts of things appear in our, our statement, and it's available on our web pages, as is QUT's. Uh, things like societal impacts, our links with industry. Um, I hadn't realised before reading ours, just like Adrian, that we have the highest proportion of uh, students on placement years, for example, at Loughborough. Um, so that's something that we're very keen to, to support and we're very proud of. Obviously, Loughborough has significant sporting achievements, etc. All, all these sorts of things just not captured in university rankings. Widening participation, that isn't captured in university rankings. Really, really important. Um, so, you know, the, the list could go on and on. And it's very interesting to read uh, the statements of those few early adopters that we have, just to see the whole range of activity that, that universities undertake. Um, and it just kind of helps you realise, again, just how narrow these rankings assessments and, and unhelpful, ultimately, these ranking assessments uh, are. I'm thinking about the news coverage of these rankings and sort of it does seem like there is this, you know, every time someone moves up in the rankings, there's a, you know, a celebratory news story that comes out and then no celebratory news story, obviously, when someone plummets. Um, so I wonder sort of what advice you might give to people who are reading news stories about the rankings of the universities, what things to kind of keep an eye out for um, and how they might best sort of figure out. Um, other ways of assessing, you know, again, you're pointing to what, what your your project is doing, um, but maybe sort of other thoughts about that as we wrap up. Look, I'd say all of those, all of those news articles, all of those press releases are absolutely cherry picked. You know, there are 17 tables. Most of those tables have multiple scores. It's very, very, it'd be nigh on impossible if you went down, <laughs> if a university went down in every single one of those, that would just be impossible. So, uh Look, I would say to people, I mean, as we're talking about here, you know, with Lizzie's narrative CV, there are so many things about a university. A university is a massive, complex organisation. Just the idea that you can summarise that massive, complex organisation into one number um, just has no face validity. So I'd say for people, if you are looking to choose a university, don't rely on these don't rely on press releases. Don't rely on these silly numbers. You, you're going to have to spend a bit of time. This is a big decision of your life. Spend a bit of time on it. Look at their website. Find out who's there. Talk to people who went there. Don't rely on on these cheap and meaningless numbers. Yeah, just to add to that, um, I recently um, read a book by Colin Diver, who was the former president of Reed College in the US. And Reed College famously pulled out of the rankings. They are still ranked, but they don't submit any data to the rankings. And uh, Colin, in his book, Breaking Rank, uh, does talk about that um, experience and it's absolutely fascinating. I would definitely encourage folk to read it. And at the end, he provides some guidance for both institutions, if they're seeking to kind of move away from the rankings, but also for, for students and those who are relying on the rankings to kind of make these decisions. And he, he does say, yes, ignore them altogether if you possibly can. But if you can't, if you really do want to have a look at these rankings, then make sure you get into the... Uh, 
nth level of detail, read exactly what the methodology covers, exactly how they're gaining their data, how, how they are, the, are put together, how the surveys are run, what proportion um, is allocated to teaching quality, uh, what weighting is given to um, employability, all the things that you care about. So you know exactly what that ranking is telling you. And if you still think at that point that that number is meaningful, then fine. But, but he encourages uh, students to create um, their own rankings, essentially. So you create a, a, a table of all the things that matter to you as a student. Does it um, matter to you how far away this institution is, what the nightlife is in the town that, you, that you're wanting to go to? You know, all of the different aspects of university life that matter to you. And then you find the data, because there is a lot of data out there, to, to kind of create your own ranking and make your own decision, as Adrian has, has rightly said, as to where is best for you to go to, to university. So, so you were raising this issue of, of, of kind of this, the students actually querying this. And, and, and you mentioned the idea of the weights. And, and that's something that's always intrigued me about these types of schemes, that there is, you know, you do have all of these things. And so now we have the first, the challenge of, are they measuring something that makes sense? Well, maybe they are. And if they're measuring something that makes sense, are we using some surrogate for them that may or may not make sense? And that it's uncertain, but we don't we ignore that too. But then when it's all done and, and you've got all these kind of, uh, I was I was thinking of baking a cake with really uncertain amounts of, of things being put in there and then not even knowing how much of each one I want to put into this cake that I'm baking. So you have these weights about how this is being integrated and put together. And, and you know, I, in the U.S., we have these things like places rated almanacs or the consumer reports of products. And ultimately, there's the decision about what's important to you. And you may not, which is important to you, as you just mentioned, Lizzie, was, may not be important. You as a student, it may not be important to you what the, the ranking organizations use. So it, it, it seems like, you know, just, just that kind of deconstruction of these scores and your ability to manipulate it seems like a, a key opportunity. I, I also wonder there's, there's this, this fiction that there's a single best fit for students going to a school. And I, I, I sometimes think that, that, that there's this disservice that, that we need to be telling the story. There are lots of good fits for you. And so explore to get that out. So could, could you talk a little bit about kind of the, this, the weighting? Could you two think about kind of what's, how, how the inputs should be weighted or what are some of the ways that, it, that they are currently weighted that might be modified? Yeah, well, the weights just seem to be on expert opinion. I mean, so things like, you know, the staff to student ratio gets 4.5% and the doctorate to bachelor ratio gets 2.25%. Why? <laughs> was somebody decided, oh, that weight should be half of that weight. So, yeah, and I mean, of course, these are really important. These weights will define the overall cake, but there's no gold standard cake. They're defining what the cake is. There's no reflection of what is a good number. Um, what should this look like? And of course, now the weights are defined. <laughs> if they decide, oh, that's probably wrong and they change them, well, then people could get upset because the numbers could move around and everybody say, well, why do we move around so much? Um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're written in stone now, but um, yeah, they, they really should be written in cake batter. <laughs> I like that. I, I think often the, the, the weightings are to do with how much confidence they, they, they have as rankers in that data as well. Um, so you know, citation data is obviously the only real global data source that we have to compare institutions, really. Um, yes, the, the surveys that they run, they have varying levels of response rates globally, and they do try and kind of even that out, but it's 
you know, very finger in the air as far as I can see. Um, so I think that's what they're relying on. Whether the data is supplied by institutions, it just gets less weight. And the irony, of course, with, with um, rankings being used so heavily by students is that teaching quality is the one thing that we just cannot assess on a global <laughs> way. You just cannot assess it. Even if I wanted to assess teaching quality in my own institution, it would be extremely difficult with all the data you know, in a qualitative way. It's very, very difficult. So many aspects to teaching quality. Again, what, what does that cake look like? It'd be different to, to, to everybody. So it, it's hugely ironic and, and, and sad, really, and misleading. Um, that, that's why I think we're, we're so concerned about it, because folk are making decisions based on this data and, and they are going to be seriously misled. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Lizzie and Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. I'll just add one last thing if there's time. Sure. One good thing for league tables is we decided the author order on the paper based on our league tables. So <laughs> 216 for QUT, 231 for Loughborough. I guess it worked out. <laughs> Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.